Hello everyone, welcome to episode 44 of ZK Live. It's Sunday night. We're going to be doing a Q&A. I apologize for not doing a Q&A last week. Um, I... Oh man, I just got a notification. Last week we finished ZK Finishing School. That was actually the notification that ZK Painting had gone live. Somehow it's showing me that because ZK Finishing School follows. Um, but we're back. I was just exhausted after a long weekend. Um, it was it was awesome, but I was sitting there at six o'clock at night and I was just beat. Uh, I just woke up from a nap. I still have some work to do after this, so I have to get the juices flowing again. But we have some good questions. We're going to talk a lot about um, talk about some cabinet painting stuff. Questions. Uh, a couple people had questions about. Um, prep uh for like a sort of air movers on site um and sort of how we control our environment and what our setup looks like um and then we have a, a few other questions about prepping trim painting trim uh estimating um and then sheen levels for finish um so it's gonna be a good show i'm happy to be back uh, I know some of you may not have seen, so if you guys aren't aware, the ZK Live episodes with for the interview portion on Tuesdays, that we've been doing that with the PCA on Facebook. Um, and Alan Langer is going to be here there this weekend. We're going to be talking about sales. Alan Langer speaker is, I've talked to you about that, Alan. Make, I hope it's still on your calendar. We have some people coming out this weekend. We still have two um, spots open if someone wants to come to ZK Finishing School for sales and marketing. It's the class I'm most excited about, but everyone wants to come learn to apply gloss. I get it. That's the sexy thing. Um, but the social media marketing and sales aspect of running a business is, I would argue, more important than being able to achieve mirrors. Because if you can make mirrors, but no one will buy them. It's not that awesome. Um, so, very excited for that. Hello, Alan. Um, sorry, guys. I, I'm just waking up. You know, when you take those, like, 20-minute power naps and you just sleep a little bit too long, like 25 minutes. And so now I'm like... Um, but I'm excited. Back to what I was saying. Uh, the ZK Live interviews have been with the PCA. And they've been... Uh, through Facebook on their Facebook page. And then I've been getting the files. I have the files. I will be posting them. But Instagram, in its wisdom, infinite wisdom, has decided to not let you post more than 15-minute long clips. At least not let me post longer than 15-minute clips on um, IGTV through my phone. Now, I believe it's been told to me that I can post hour-long clips through my laptop. Uh, we're going to try that after this episode. If it doesn't work, then we will be going back to going live through Instagram. But the sound quality is a lot higher. I have this like super duper special mic and uh, the sound quality is just better. I mean, it's it's slightly edited by the P the team at PCA. So the f like the future of it is bright, but right now I have three episodes that I have not posted. There are three episodes that are probably up on iTunes that are not on my IGTV right now. Um, so if you have missed that, 
Tuesday, again, we have uh, an episode that will be live on Facebook through the PCA. But let's get into it. I'm going to try to keep these shorter and more compact and not go for two and a half hours of rambling uh, as much as I love to do that. Let's, let's, let's get in there. Let's answer questions. Let's talk about painting. So I'm just going to start at the bottom and we're going to bring this one up and we're going to get into it. So Brock Solid Painting Company asks, kitchen cabinets, how do you test for cleanliness of substrate before proceeding any further? Okay, so I would say, so we are really lucky. Honestly, most of the kitchen cabinets that we are refinishing are beautiful cabinets in, in great shape. And we're really not that concerned about adhesion. Um, although we do extreme precautions to make sure that um, we do have adhesion. We don't, honestly, we probably should do more, but we don't do a lot of testing for adhesion. Uh, unless there's, for some reason, there's something that makes us suspect. Um, you know, if there's something like, oh, they, the, something about the look or the feel of the cabinet makes us think we need to be like crazy um, and test this stuff. But we sort of have a system that works. Um, we use a high quality degreaser, liquid degreaser. Um, and then, and we clean and clean until the surface is, feels, looks and feels clean. And has clean water coming off of it. Um, again, most of the cabinets we are dealing with, there might be four cabinet doors that were above the, or two that were above the oven. Those might visibly have some grease marks on them, but for the most part, the cabinets we're getting are very clean. We say, we clean them very well. We use a, a high, a very strong degreaser. We rinse them and then we sand them pretty extensively. I, I think, probably much more extensively than the average job that you're going to refinish, uh, the average painter. We spend a, our, our cabinet projects are not inexpensive, um, especially compared to the competition and what's sort of out there. What we are generally doing is giving them brand new, like custom cabinet grade finish at the end. So there's a lot of sanding that goes into that. Um, cause most of the time we're doing stain grade to paint grade and everyone knows the first time you put that first coat of paint on stain grade cabinets, you see all the imperfections and the wood grain and the little, little pinholes and all sorts of stuff. So we are doing lots and lots of sanding beforehand. Um, and then between coats. So I think the first thing is make sure you have a, a, a clean substrate as far as you've used a degreaser and a, and a, some sort of surfactant and you clean the surface. Um, we generally use like Scotch-Brite pads and scrub while we clean and then rinse off real well. And then we will sand with, you know, 220, sand it pretty extensively. Um, and then we're going to use, then we use for the most of the, the for all our 2K poly jobs, we're using a, a two-part primer, um, two-part water-based water isolating primer and uh, a two-part top coat over the top of that. So... If you're worried at all, if we ever had something that we were like, well, we're not sure how this is going to work out. Um, we have a pretty, pretty well-oiled machine as far as kitchen cabinet refinishing goes, and we've never had any issues. Um, but always just do a test. Um, there. Oh, and the question is, how do you test for cleanliness? Uh, I mean, I think there's a visual inspection, there's a feel, and then there's lots of sanding. Um, you know, when you can get that 
mechanical bond, right? That paint can bond chemically or mechanically. The mechanical bond, the scratch that comes from, you know, we might even use 180 grit, depending on the, the project. You know, the scratch that you get is going to help that paint stick to it. If it's super smooth, nothing's going to stick to it. You sand it really well, it's going to bite. Uh, but we are using multiple coats of primer, um, almost always two coats of primer, lots of sanding in between, two coats of top coat. So make sure to put your questions in the bottom where there's a question. There's like a little question mark. You can put a question there. That way I can put it up on the screen and we don't lose it. Because uh, the scroll, I don't get to read the feed because too many comments a lot of times. So any questions, please put them down in the bottom. Uh, Brock Solid just got on and we we're just answering his question. Uh, so to recap, we make sure we're using a high quality liquid degreaser. We use a Scotch-Brite pad to scrub that and clean that, clean water, and then we're gonna we're gonna sand um, extensively, and then we're gonna test it. If we have any, if we're worried at all, if it's a new system or anything, we're gonna do one panel and then we're gonna do an adhesion test to see how it performs. Hope that answered. Um, all right, let's just I'm just gonna push on them and see what comes up next. T.J. Chippendale. Can you go over your on-site conventional spray setup? Yes, I can. Again, this episode is sponsored by LaCroix Lemoncello. It is my favorite seltzer. Um, it's not, obviously it's not actually sponsored by them, but I do buy quite a bit of it. I think I sponsor them. So we, when we are going to spray conventional um, on-site, you know, with the SADA cup gun that requires 12 CFM, around 12 CFM, 10 to 10 to 13, you know, those, those gravity fed cup guns, they require a large volume of air. So what we do is we take, and we don't want to run, we don't like to run gas compressors. So we will take, um, a roll air VT 25 big, which in my experience comes just about as close as any compressor on the market to maximizing the volume of air it will produce from a 110 outlet, right? So if you get a, v, a Roller VT 25 big, you, I think you get someplace, somewhere in the range of 8.5 to 9 CFM, something like that, um, at 90, 90 PSI, I believe. So we will take two of those and then we, you can go, there's, there's reserve tanks that, I just bought a, a, a reserve tank where you can take multiple compressors and run them into this tank and then run a single thing off. And that was like 70 bucks. It was on sale at um, Burns Power Tool, but you can get a, something like that where you run two to one. Now, make sure that you're running. Um, what we always do is we put one-way valves on our compressors, on the hoses, so that the air is not going back in. They're not fighting with each other. I don't know if you need to do that or not, but we just make sure that we take a one-way um, valve and and so I have this like whip that before I use that tank, I have, you can go to your compressor store and you can say, I want to run two compressors in tandem. And essentially you get two, a hose that goes into each compressor from that hose. Um, you have a one-way valve, then you have a shutoff valve, and then it runs to a manifold, right? Where they meet. And then from the manifold, it will run a single hose to your filter, then to your gun. So 
you can take multiple, you can look this up. I'm sure there's YouTube videos as well. Like you can, you can take multiple air compressors and, and have them be working in parallel so they can get a larger volume of air and sustain a gravity fed cup gun without having to get a gas powered compressor. Um, it works out really well. We use two VT25 VIGs, run them in, in tandem and you're good to go. What's up, Caesar from MFC Construction? Caesar's going to be the first returning um, company to ZK Finishing School. Caesar was in our uh, initial FPE training class, and he's coming this weekend for um, social media marketing class, which is really exciting. We're excited to have Caesar back. Um, he's using it as an excuse to go see his family up here, which is awesome. All right. I'm just going to pick another one and we'll see what, um, Whitkin painting and restoration. When you shoot base and trim, what is your prep work from masking to nail hole prep to finish? Well, you know, th there's, we, ha I'm sure we have a, a few different levels of trim packages. We don't do a ton of new construction cause we're not price competitive. And, and generally in the new construction world, they're very price conscious, um, for a number of reasons, but we don't do a lot of it. But when we do, we would generally, we would offer uh, fine paints of Europe in Eco or Holland Lac on the trim. Um, occasionally we have done projects with Advance on the trim uh, when the designer, like it's part of a bunch of existing stuff that already has that paint on it. Um, that happened to us once. Um, but for the most part, we are specking either Eco or Holland Lac and in which case we're going to do, always going to do two coats of primer. Um, I think that, and then two coats of nail hole fill. So if you if you have the budget, so not every client does or wants that nice of a finish, but for us, we are most often, we are going to be sanding, priming, filling, filling, sanding, priming, sanding. So, we're building this. We like to use multiple coats of of primer to build the substrate, knock down, build up, knock down. Same thing with filling the nail holes. We're going to fill the nail holes. We're going to sand them. We're going to fill them again. We're going to sand them. And then we're going to prime over the top of that and sand all that. Um, I think if you can, if your clients want a, a high-end finish on their trim package, it it's I think it's very important to use a two-primer coat system. When you just try to prime one time, single prime, single nail hole fill, or even double nail hole fill, you get, and, and sometimes two is not enough, but let's just say two, you know, we've all, I mean, I think it's, it's sadly standard for interior trim packages, even on high end homes to see all of the chatter marks from the, the mill, right? Where you see like all the little bumps, from the, I got a piece of crown. The only way, I mean, we generally, we are going to be doing projects where we are removing all the chatter. We are removing any wood grain and we are making pieces of trim look smooth like cabinetry. Um, now that's not always an option. And often we've done projects before um, and probably will continue to where the client just doesn't care about whether or not there's chatter marks or, um, the grain is filled. They want a white satin 
durable, nice finish on their trim, but they're not looking for um, a cabinet grade finish on their trim. So I think that's one way of doing it. Um, but we would almost always go with a, a minimum two coat system of primer uh, with sanding in between coats and before. Um, what we fill nail holes with, that's that's kind of, it really depends on the situation. Uh, a lot of times we're gonna use Ready Patch um, or Elmer's Wood Filler. Uh, both are awesome products. Both need to be primed. So, you know, make sure you're aware of that and that fits into your system so that you are priming over your filler. Um, we would, we can get away with nitro stand not being primed. It won't flash. Um, but it's red and if you're putting white over the top, sometimes it doesn't cover. So, you know, you might have to put two coats on anyway. But, um, yeah, that's sort of our system. I think the most important part in this whole thing is, is making sure that you're sanding initially that you're sanding your first coat of primer and that you're sanding your second coat of primer well with varying degrees of sandpaper. But always it comes down to budget and expectations. What is the client paying for? The standard in our industry is way less than that, way less than that. But um, you know, you're asking me, so I'm assuming you wanna know what we're doing at a higher level of finish, and that's gonna be more sanding and more primer build, more primer coats. Thanks for the question. That's if has does anyone listen to Seth Godin's Akimbo? He he always says and and thanks for your question. He's tremendous, Seth Godin. I'm a big fan. Um, I'm saying this is fun. We're gonna start this rapid fire question answering uh, Sunday night, and we can all move about our day and and get back to. I have some work to do. Um, the Washington Painter says, what's your conversion rate on quotes or bids? I think it's called over there. I wonder if he's not from over there. Does he mean just across the country? Maybe he must be from Washington. I'm guessing. Um, my conversion rate on quotes is pro I'd have to look. I don't know. I don't track it. I don't do very many. I try my hardest to not to, to vet clients to get to the point where yeah, we are we are the perfect fit, and now we're going to build a scope of work and a budget to fit their a scope of work to fit their budget and expectations. That's really the best way. Same the same is true. We're a custom painting contractor. The same is true with a custom builder. Um, so I would say our conversion rate on something I put a number on um, is probably I would say in the sixty to seventy percent range at this point. Um, I'm because I'm doing a lot of I'm trying to pre-qualify clients as best as possible and just kind of be like, all right, here's what here's what makes us special. Do these things line up with what you want? And if they don't, all right, good luck. I mean, it's pretty easy. Like we're going to be the most expensive and we can't start for a couple months. Generally, is that OK? Do you care? What do you care about in this situation? Like. How did you hear about us? That will generally tell me a lot about where this client's coming from and whether we'll be a good fit. If they found us on Google, uh, 99 times out of 100, we're probably not a good fit um, just because they're looking for a painter. A painter, commodity, you know, whatever, they're going to get a high, they're going to get three numbers and maybe they go with the middle one, maybe they go with the low one. Um, and they need them to start in the next week. And they think that they're, 
$18,000 project is the greatest thing in the world and that I should just do backflips to ever even think about them allowing me to paint their home. And that's not the relationship that we want. We want to have a symbiotic relationship where we both come to the table with trust and and there's a profession, level of professionalism from the client and from us that's like we are on a level pl- plane and that, you know, we offer something and they want that thing. And so, oh, it's like, oh, we're a good fit. But it's not like I'm going to lord this project over you and you measly painter will have to come do whatever I say in order to get this job. I I mean, we've any painter knows the clients that talk to us like that and and it's like they're they have this gift that they might give us if we jump through enough hoops and anytime someone is seeing us as less than true professionals like they would treat any other professional company um we're gonna try to walk away as fast as possible so i i definitely i have a my conversion rate is higher is getting higher and higher because i'm trying to bid less and less projects now kitchen cabinet refinished projects I can put, I can bid those in five minutes with a few pictures. So those are really a lot of the projects that we're not getting. And most of the projects that we don't get are projects that are very easy to estimate for me that don't require me going out or don't require a lot of time. So I'm happy to like, maybe like, I think you're a good fit, but I'm not even going to try that hard to see if you are or not really, because this is going to take me five minutes and I can get you a price. And if you want to move forward, we can move forward. Like I bid a couple pieces of furniture last week um, just through pictures. And in five minutes, you know, I, I can look at a piece of furniture and I know just about, I know roughly what it's going to cost. And it's expensive. You know, it's, it's, I think these the both pieces were like four or $5,000. They wanted like old pieces of furniture to be gloss, um, you know, gloss mirror finish. And that takes a lot of work. So, you know, I'll probably never hear from those people again. I understand. They probably thought it was going to be a few hundred dollars to repaint their thing with high gloss paint. That's fine. Um, they didn't take me a lot of time. It wasn't a big investment. So I'm going to lose those. But um, for the most part, we are trying to find clients who want what we offer. High quality, passion, knowledge, um, dedication. You know you're not taking a risk when you hire us. Like that's the big thing. Our clients understand that they're not going to be taking a risk by hiring us. They know it's going to get done right. We're going to do what we say we're going to do. Um, we're going to follow through and, and, and we're going to execute at a high level. So when a client, just like at the custom builder, that's what is sort of the client is looking to find those things out first. And those are the clients that we want. Um, and then we can now we can work together to build a scope that meets their budget and expectations. And, and that can be that can vary. It can say, okay, we're going to do this in pieces because you don't want to spend that much. Or, you know, maybe we're going to take these parts and make them really nice and make these parts nice, but not, you know, world-class mirror finish stuff or, or whatever it is. But I think trying to, in the beginning when I, cause I, we're busy. Like we, there's, we have way more demand for our services than I can, than we can keep up with generally. Um, and that's by design it's definitely by design because I, for my whole career is the other way around. And I was this measly little painter who was just begging for you to pay me anything to paint anything for you. Cause I didn't know what I was doing as far as running a business. Now it's a little bit different and I'm trying to close at a higher rate, but not estimate as often.
Thanks for the question. Thanks for your question. You guys should all hear Seth Godin. His cadence are, they're tremendous. Cadence is tremendous. Uh, Simp35 said, so would you paint aluminum siding black or would you prep and replace the wood trim second? What primer? I think it means like secondly, what primer would you use? Would you paint aluminum siding black or would you prep and replace the wood trim? I don't follow why that's an or. Uh, Sam, are you on here to help me figure that out? Um, honestly, I've never painted aluminum siding. We don't have a lot of aluminum siding around where I live. At least my clients don't. I, I don't, I just never painted aluminum siding. Um, I would, so I, I would defer, I would, honestly, I would call Fine Paints of Europe. I don't think there's a lot of clients with aluminum siding who want FPE on it. Maybe there are, and I just don't know them yet, or, or whatever, but I, I don't, this one, I don't have an answer for. I would talk to your paint rep. And would you prep and replace the wood trim? Honestly, I, I don't know this one. Sorry, buddy. But Simp has multiple questions for us tonight. So we'll get another one answered for him. Simp35, tips on prep work on exterior with power washing and caulking. Boy, you got some broad questions over here, my friend. Um, tips on... Prep work on exterior with power washing and caulking. All right. So I am not a fan of power washing. Um, we try to now at this point, I, I have gone back and forth on how much we do power washing in house, how much we sub it. Um, and it's, it's something I really don't like to do. Um, personally, I don't like to do it. I don't know whether there's anybody in my company likes to do it. We just don't do it very often. Um, and so what I've, chose to do this summer on the one of the exteriors we did we wa we washed it actually I washed it with Jason um because there's not you know it's just one of those weird things where like my painters are are producing they're painting they're on projects and power washing is this like weird thing you have to do ahead of time it requires like all the different gear and if you power wash three times a year there's always a leak in a hose the, like it's always like a thing and so I generally end up overseeing that because it's just, it's, it just, it's a, it's a hiccup. It gets, it gets in the middle of our rhythm. So for the most part now, the last two exteriors that we did, I've subbed out to a professional power washing company that I found that I finally trust. It took me probably five companies before I got somebody where I don't feel like I need to babysit them while they're there. Um, and as many of you painters know, I, I believe that paint contractors, like I wash a house in order to paint it in a very different way than you would wash a house if you were washing it to wash it. Meaning, if I'm a guy, if I'm a pressure washing company, client calls me, they want their house washed. I come out, I clean the house. It looks good from the ground. All looks good. It's clean. It's been washed and rinsed. The client's happy, their house looks clean, and they cut them a check, right? That's the threshold for a, the average pressure washing company as far as the way that they are cleaning that house. I, now, that is generally done by spraying large amounts of product, the chemicals, on surfaces, letting them dwell, and then just rinsing them off. That's not, what, that's not enough for me. 
for our exteriors. I want every inch of this place washed. Now, not blasted with 2000 PSI and made marks, but like when you're washing in order to, to apply paint, you need a, a much more thorough inch by inch cleaning because it's the adhesion of our paint is being built on this key step, right? The house has been being out in the weather for five, 10, 15 years. We need to clean it before we apply paint over the top. So a very thorough prep power washing is necessary if I'm going to be confident in building a skyscraper on this foundation that I, we've now had. And this is my favorite analogy in paint is we, you know, we're building off of a solid foundation to build our skyscraper. If we have a weak foundation, it might look good the day we finish the building. But what will that building look like down the road? Um, and... Again, so Bresson said, is anyone else sub out pressure washing? Anyone else, please put your comments down below. Um, I would say a caveat to why we do this a lot is because, again, like I said, we are very busy and we're very specialized and honed in and our hourly rates are higher. And we're very, like, we're trying to do what we're really good at. And then I like to bring in the pressure washer because he's really good at that. And he has a, a T, he has a whole setup. I mean, his truck's probably a $50,000 setup just to wash like it they have access to i think he has access to 20 16 at least uh i think it's 16 maybe um gallons per minute right he has access to 16 gallons per minute from multiple machine multiple machines and multiple wands of of water right now i've done jobs where i've had two washers on there and hooked up to two sites and you know maybe i can get eight Without getting a super duper, um, <laughs> so I just I get so distracted by reading those comments. Um, but the speed at which a professional company with a real setup can get the job done, like he can apply chemical, and I've I've bought bootleg versions, not bootleg, but like I've bought transfer pumps to apply chemical and. But it's this whole huge hassle. And he's just set up to drive there, get it done in two days, and drive away. Um, so that's what we're doing at this point for, for power washing. I will say for caulking on the exterior, I would look to use, we use Tower Tech 2. It's considered a sealant. The, the flexibility on it, whatever, all of the specs on it are super duper. It's But it's still water-based. It's not one of those oil-based caulkings and sealants which we've used in the past that are really a pain in the butt um so tower tech 2 is what we use I, I you just want the get the most expensive caulking with the longest the, the most flexibility as possible make sure you have a sound substrate that's primed first we we always want to prime our wood before we caulk um and then put a nice a thick enough bead that it can actually flex you put those little tiny tiny thin beads of caulking there's not enough caulking there to actually move. Um, but use good caulking. Pressure wash very intent, intently and thoroughly and you're good to go. Um, yes, you do. You, you st I still find that you have to do a fair amount of sanding and scraping after power washing. Uh, I agree, you do. Um, but I want my. I don't want to sand dirt and mildew and mold into my finish. And, you know, I, I want to work with a 
mil mold and mildew free surface more than anything else the dirt if we use an oil primer we're good water base you're not good with dirt right everybody knows you can put water base oil based primer is much more forgiving over a quote unquote dirty surface than water base is right water water and dirt equals mud oil base and dirt just like locks the dirt in there with the oil it's a little bit different um but you know to each their own Breston Painting said, I'd call you a superstitious native for not doing it anymore, but you make a lot of valid points. Um, no, it's not superstitious native stuff. Now, I worked, my old boss was a superstitious native with power washing, and we were never allowed to apply chemical with the pressure washer. We had to use a pump sprayer. My job was always to fill up multiple pump sprayers all day long, climbing up and down ladders, spraying every single inch of the house with the chemical. I mean, it was the most miserable task, and everyone knows the gallons per minute on a little pump sprayer are nothing compared to what a pressure washer is. But one time, somebody burned some some plants, and from then on, we applied chemical with a pump sprayer. Now, to and again to my point, why we use the the professional, they have multiple machines with large volumes of water. That's really what you clean with. If you guys don't know, the the perfect the Pressure washing, really what makes it special for the most part is the volume of water that is being used. The chemicals are supposed to do the work and the volume of water should be what makes it fast. And, and, and you're not blasting with 2000 PSI every inch. You are still rinsing well, but it's the chemicals that do the work. It's the large volume of water that makes it fast. So I might have, my pressure washer is a, is a big, pre, big pressure washer but it's four gallons per minute. That's, that's still, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to like paint a wall with like a little eraser where he's coming in with like a big swath, right? So he can have one guy with a wand who's just wetting the bushes while the other guy applies chemical, you know? So there's a whole bunch to pressure washing and I'm, I'm more than happy to not be doing it anymore. At this moment. Now, if I ever got to, I did contemplate getting, investing like 20 grand into a, a big setup and getting into that. And I just decided it was not in our wheelhouse. It was not where we needed to be spending our time and energy. And so I'm lucky to have found somebody that I can sub my work to. Shout out to Time to, time to Shine Pressure Washing. Andrew, he's awesome. He's like I am to paint. He is to pressure washing. He's obsessed. He knows everything. He's a very passionate man. Everyone, you should go look up Time to Shine Pressure Washing. Um, um, interesting. No chemicals. There are chemicals. There's, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't want to wash a house. I would not want to wash a house without chemicals. Yes, I do think chemicals are necessary. I think that um, if they're diluted well enough, they're not going to harm anything. And, you know, I don't know. I'm pretty sure you're allowed to dump bleach in the dirt. I, I don't know. Don't listen to me on this chemical environmental lawyer stuff. I'm not the guy to ask. We will get you some coffee milk, Caesar. We will have coffee milk at this weekend's ZK Finishing School. It's going to be a small group. It's going to be our initial one. We are going to go deep and people are going to get unbelievable marketing plans and they're going to walk away. Wait till you guys see MF 
C Construction Group. Wait till the when you see their social media six months from now, it's going to be out of control different. I am so excited to help. I've helped some people in the past, but to spend an entire weekend just doing deep dives and case studies and working out blueprints for individual companies so that people can walk away with a very clear plan of what they're going to do on social media, what they're going to do in their marketing in general, and then how are they going to sell. Spending an entire weekend just thinking about that type of stuff is so valuable. Um, So I hope we still have two slots left. I'd love to have somebody else come, but the four people who are coming, I'm super excited for. We're keeping it small so we can do a lot of hands-on, but they're all going to know how to use social media very well if they don't already. But really what it's going to do is we're going to be refining and honing messaging. It's very important. Here's a question. This is fun. I don't even read them first. It's probably dangerous. I should start doing that. But Herc, Hecra Painting, would you use 1K Lacquer or FPE Eco on cabinets? I, well, well the first question is budget expectations. What is the client's budget and expectations? If the client is like, I don't really care what these look, how durable these are. I just, I need to get them refinished. They're ugly. I want them white. They Now they're stain grade. I am an old lady. I'm nice on my cabinets. I don't care if they're durable. Okay, 1K, pre-cat lacquer is what you're talking about. 1K lacquer, pre-cat lacquer. Pre-cat lacquer is fine. It's, but it's fine. Like it is not very durable. And anyone who wants to say that pre-cat lacquer is a durable product, as opposed to what would be my question. Um, pre-cat lacquer is notorious for not being very durable. Um, it's it's an inexpensive product to to buy. It dries very fast, so it's in, inexpensive to apply. Our base level kitchen cabinet job and, and piece of furniture is pre-cat lacquer. We don't do very much of it at all. Um, but I have offered it a couple of times in a couple of unique situ- um, situations to clients. Um, and we didn't end up doing, it. I did one piece of furniture in pre-cat lacquer. Um, it's super fast, super cheap, and it's fine. Uh, but, but the difference between pre-cat lacquer and five paints eco is, I mean, there, it, there's just a huge, huge difference. One is an exterior grade marine enamel that is going to be incredibly durable and it's just night and day. So your durability will be far greater with a one part, um, alkyd acrylic like eco. Um, but your cost to apply, I mean, you're double, at least double. Um, so it really depends on budget and expectations. Simp, he's got the trifecta here. Three questions. Last, I'm trying to wrap my head. Oh, I I did them in order too. That's even better. Look at that. Last, I'm trying to wrap my head, trying to wrap my head around the whole idea of how many coats of primer after painting to get gloss wall. Um. All right. Solvent 2Ks are awesome. Solvent 2K is is a tremendous product and has a lot of, I mean, that is as durable as you're going to get, right? You get a a 2K urethane solvent 
You're not going to get more durable. I think it's beautiful finish. Uh, it's it's a more aesthetically pleasing finish than a water base 2K. Uh, I would say by far. Um, not I don't by far. Whatever however you want to say it. It's a more aesthetically pleasing. You know, it's less plastic looking. Um, it's more oil enamel looking than and more pre-cat lacquer looking than 2K. Water-based 2K poly has a lot of advantages. One of its disadvantages, one of the drawbacks is it tends to look fairly plasticky and feel fairly plasticky because it is a form of plastic, right? Polyurethane plastic is this type of plastic, I think. I don't know. But solvent 2K is going to burn into each each coat. It's going to... It just has a different look and feel to it. Plus, it's more durable than um, water-based... But boy, does it smell. Um, you have to be careful with that solvent-based 2K stuff. We've done a few projects with it. Um, and we'll continue to. Um, so, back to gloss and multiple coats of primer. So, the theory on... Getting a a mirror finish, right? If we are trying to take a substrate, like a new piece of mahogany... Right. If we had a new piece, I have to go like this because the picture. I'm just gonna take this off. What the heck? If we have a new piece of mahogany here, this other can. It's a piece of mahogany. Yeah. If we were to look at that, we don't even have to look at it under, under a microscope. We can just look at it and see that it is has highs and lows and highs and lows, and it is a very so, like not smooth substrate. Right. It's up down up down up down. It looks like the surface it looks like the mountains right so the theory is now we need to take this thing that has highs and lows it's very jagged and we need to make it super smooth so there are many ways to go about doing that but essentially at some level you need to build up the low spots right and then you need to knock down the high spots and you need to build up the low spots and knock down the high spots and build up the low spots knock down the high spots over and over and over and over and over until it's all a sheet of glass. That's why we use multiple coats of primer. We are going to, first we're going to prime to seal our substrate before we do anything else, right? We're going to use a, a certain color that's the, not a color that we're using. That is our base level. If we ever sand and see that color, this is on porous substrates and we're doing a gloss. So now we have this like, okay, we know black. If we ever get the black primer, that is as far as we're ever sanding, right? That is our very, very, very base coat. But now we're we're safe. We know we know that that oil primer is adhered to the substrate, and we can build off of that, right? So that's our base coat. Now we can do a number of different things. We can, if depending on the project, the timeline, the skill set you have, whether it's on site, whether it's not on site, there are a bunch of different ways that you can fill the low spots and knock down the high spots. There are many things you can fill that with, right? You can use primer, you can use filler. And there's many types of primer and many types of filler. So the theory is that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to f build up and knock down a bunch of times until we're like, oh, that's beautiful. And then we wanna lock that in with another coat of, of primer, generally. Sand that, super smooth. And then we're going to put our top coat over the top as just sheen. Like that, that's, that's what, that's the automotive world. That's what they do, right? They build base coats and then they just put a clear coat over the top. They use a primer, then they use base coats for color. And then they just use clear over the top of that. We are using a pigmented 
clear, if you will. Like we are building our substrate with primer and then the base coat and the clear coat are sort of one in one and the same. Um, but that's, that's why we use, that's why we use multiple coats of primer on certain projects, especially in the shop, because I, we were able to set up, spray a door with primer and clean up in less than an hour. Like I have, we have the PPS set up in the gravity fed cup gun. We don't waste any paint at all. We don't have to clean lines. We have a whole way where we can easily set up, spray paint, clean up, and it's very time, it's not very time consuming. Um, so, but if you're on site, on walls, those walls that we put 45 gallons of joy compound on, that probably would have taken 45 gallons of primer <laughs> built up, knocked down. And even then we probably wouldn't have got that. That's just not the way to do it, right? We had a much, we had a 200 year old plaster wall we were trying to make flat. So we could do that with primer, but that's going to take a lot of coats to build that low up to the high where you could skim it with a much higher build compound of some sort. And so that's where the compounds come in. If you have, if you want to speed up this process, maybe if you, you know, one coat of compound is obviously depending on what you're skimming with is going to have a much higher build than one coat of primer. So you don't have to use as many coats of primer, but that's the theory is Build up, knock down, build up, knock down, build up, knock down. However you do it. Here's a good question. Beach Goth. This young man was at ZK Finishing School um, last weekend, actually. And it was a lot of fun. This very passionate craftsperson, which we love. Anyone who comes to ZK Finishing School is, is a very passionate craftsperson. That's, that's the only way you can get in. Um, Beach Goss said, when I sand my oil primer, I find my guys burn through it often. Any suggestions to correct that? Again, this is why one coat of primer is very rare for us. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're gonna, the high spots when they're sanded will get sanded down to bare wood, right? If, if we have this jagged, God, I need like an, an illustrator back here. If we have this jagged surface, and we coat it all with a coat of paint, right? And then we go to sand with a flat pad, right? And we're going to sand that down. Well, guess what? The high stuff's going to sand through the primer and down to bare wood. And the low stuff, we won't even even gotten to it yet with the sander. So that's why it's just really hard to do one coat of primer and then do any type of shape sanding. If you're just scuff sanding, moving on, that's fine. Um... But that's why we, and that's why we change the color of our primer. So we will know as we're sanding, like if I do that black coat of primer and then I do a coat of white primer over the top, as soon as I start to see pretty pronounced black, I got to stop sanding. Because if I keep sanding, now I might, it might be like dots. You, you guys have seen in our posts, that beautiful look of the two colors, right? The low spots, spots have the white primer in them still. The high spots have black showing because we already sanded through the white. So that's why we use multiple coats of primer and we change the color of primer so that as we sand, we're, it's a guide coat that makes sure we don't sand all the way through our initial base coat of primer. Um, that's funny. Beachcloth, you don't think you sent that question? Without 
Bresson says, without maybe knowing exact science, in your opinion, do you feel better about multiple coats of primer to build or primer with a compound and seal the primer with and seal the compound with primer just before top? Uh, I feel I definitely feel better. I, I, I would I mean, it depends on the primer and it depends on the compound. Sorry, it's a really boring answer. Um, I would say that I would generally I would feel a little bit better about compound than primer, depending on what it is. So there's a phenomenon that happens with many paints is that they take extended periods of time to cure, right? Oil-based primer is going to dry in four to 24 hours, generally. It's going to cure in like three months or three weeks, right? It's gonna completely be done. It's gonna harden up and be done off-gassing chemicals I believe in three weeks, maybe it's two weeks. I don't know, but it's, it's an extended period of time, right? So if you've built, we've done this before and we don't do this very often anymore. As you know, we don't try now to build our substrate with oil as much, especially on wood doors. Um, because the, unless you have two or three weeks to wait for that primer to dry and cure before you sand it flat, you might sand that substrate flat and then paint it. Looks like a million bucks. Well, guess what? Two weeks later, that paint is shrunken just a little bit in the thick spots more than the thin spots because there's a more primer there. And now you lost your perfect mirror. You have subtle, only I see it, only people that really know see it. But I've looked back at some of my doors and three months later, they look a little bit differently than they looked the day I delivered them. And that's because the primer is still curing. So uh compound i'm going to be more confident of curing and not shrinking back after it's dried i believe so that's kind of my thought process there fe oil undercoater laying it rest a day here and there um yeah i mean it, it depends on what you're talking about and the conditions to, and, but yeah, I mean, I think that FPE oil primer, if we're talking about that, if we were to apply a coat of paint and come back 48 hours later and find some way to like study what's coming off that paint, the next 24 hours, there would be some off gassing still. I believe, I, I mean, I could be wrong. We, we should get some tester guy to, to test it, but that paint is not completely done it's curing process in 48 hours. So there's something to be said to just like letting the paint off gas and sort of finish moving and settle out before we do anything. There's something to be said for that, but rarely do you have the ability to do that. Um, perfect. Um, Beach Goth, does somebody grab your account and like spam questions? Do you know what this question means? Distinctiveness of image measurements. Uh, I'm going to come back to that after you can tell me what that means. Um, here we go. What does that mean? Let's go back to it. He's here. He just commented. Distinctiveness of image measurements. 
I don't know what you mean. Were you hacked? Clarify that if you will. Let's see. Chroma Custom Painting. This is another guy, Alex, who was at ZK Finishing School this last weekend. Um, Awesome guy. Okay. Let me go back and see if I can understand this. I still don't. I still don't know what you're getting at. Oh, oh, this this goes back to the other question you asked, right? Let me pull up the other question that you asked that I saw. Wait, this is weird. You're talking about degrees of sheen, right? So I, I believe he's talking about degrees of sheen. Put in the comments, but I think, so, because didn't you ask a question about degrees of sheen that somehow is not there anymore? Um, so there is a thing called a gloss meter. I, at some point I need to buy one. Um, but there is a thing called a gloss meter and it measures the reflection of light at certain angles. So generally I think it's like 60 degrees. So it will take a beam of light and shine it at a 60 degree angle to the surface. And then it will, the light will reflect off. Right. And this is, and I'm not an absolute, we got to get a chemist on here, but for, to what I understand, that's how this works. So it is, it is a beam of 100 lumens of light is being shot. Right. And then it's calculating how much light reflects off of the surface after it's bounced at a 60 degree angle. That number will tell you the degrees of sheen at a certain angle. So you always have to look at that because if you, if you look at different companies, TDS sheets, technical data sheets, they, they will oftentimes they will like change and be like, well, this one's at 45 degrees of sheen or 45 degrees. And then they'll give you a number. Well, you can't compare a, a gloss reading gloss. They're called gloss units, GUs. You can't compare gloss GUs that are from a 60 degree angle versus ones that are from a 45 degree angle. I, maybe there's a conversion to it. I don't know. We should get somebody on here that knows that stuff. All I know is clients will come to me. The, the, here's the practical answer. Clients will come to me and say, I want a satin sheen or, or more of the designer. The designer will be like, well, I like, you know, I like Benjamin Moore advanced satin. So what is that in fine paints of Europe? And then I was, God, if I didn't take that nap. I was going to go do this homework and I was going to have this like in a spreadsheet, but honestly, you can just Google it, Google advanced satin. If someone wants to be a a hero, they could do this right now. Google advanced satin, go to their TDS sheet. Tell me what the degrees of sheen, the GU, I mean the, the gloss units are for advanced satin. And then you can go to fine paints of Europe and you can look at eco satin and it will tell you what the GUs are. And then, so now we have, and this is what the cabinet, in the, in the cabinet finishing world, in the commercial finishing world, this is a very standard. They don't talk about satin and gl- They say, this is zero degrees of sheen. This is five degrees of sheen, 10, 20, 30, 40, 60, 80, 90, right? They talk about degrees of sheen. Why do I keep saying that? They talk about gloss units as a way to define sheen because that's a objective piece of data. There is a little 
thing you can buy. I think it's like a thousand dollars. I've almost bought it a number of times. I live in Rhode Island and you can test the degrees of sheen. So as an example, you can get Hollenlack 98. Hollenlack 98 is called Hollenlack 98 for a reason. It, didn't, it was not invented in 1998 or 1888, 1898. It's called Hollenlack 98. Caesar, my man. All right. So now check out what, what is FPE Eco Satin. So if Advanced Satin has 25 to 35 gloss units at 60 degrees. And we all know Eco Satin has more sheen than Advanced Satin does, right? Those terms, satin, eggshell, semi-gloss, gloss, they are subjective. That's why I can't stand subjectivity when we're trying to achieve high-level finishes is never our friend, right? We want to be using objective terminologies. We want to be testing the, the viscosity of our paint with a Ford number four cup. We don't want to be saying, well, I thin it 20%. Well, if you thin paint that's 50 degrees, 20%, and then you thin paint that's 90 degrees, 20%, your viscosity will be very different. So we would prefer to know what is our viscosity through a Ford number four cup. That's how you test viscosity. Um, same with degrees of sheen. When a client says, I want satin, I don't, like, I don't know what that means. I'll tell you, do you like this? Do you like that? Show me something that what you mean. What are we comparing this to? Here we go. This is beautiful. Um, so Eco Satin has 55 to 65 gloss units at 60 degrees. Advanced Satin has 25 to 35. So Satin does not mean satin. Satin doesn't mean anything. Satin is a, a word that they use within their own paint line to d differentiate it, but you have to go look at the TDS sheet to find out what the gloss units are. So to answer your question, I hope we're getting close. So he's the beach goth who asked this question said, I was hoping it was an industry standard and curious if you take notations on the substrate surface prior to preparatory actions to get to the GU you're trying to get like mirror versus funhouse. Oh, that's a whole nother thing. And I do not know that there's an actual way to test that. I, there probably is some insane piece of equipment that will test whether or not you have a true mirror finish, a flat mirror that gives you no distortion, and whether you have a funhouse mirror. There's probably some kind of crazy thing, but no, there's not, as far as I understand, there's no way to, to differentiate a slightly unflat, because right, that's the difference between a funhouse mirror and a real mirror is how flat is the mirror. And that's why well, there's a big difference between smooth and flat, right? Those funhouse mirrors are smooth still. You get a reflection because they're smooth, but they're not flat. So when we are doing gloss at a high level, we are, we are trying to achieve smooth and flat. Flat is how you get the true mirror finish. So now I get your question. No, that is really the eye going, does this look like a mirror image of me or do I look distorted like I'm in a funhouse mirror? And Honestly, the clients aren't going to be the ones generally. I, I'm the expert. We are there to give them that. And if it, they're not going to be like, well, I look kind of like a funhouse mirror in this. It's just like, wow, that's a mirror finish. So 
But to go back, let's go back and let's put a, a point on this gloss unit thing. So, um, Hallnock 98 has 98 gloss units at 60, I believe. I'm assuming it's at 60. That's what they all should be at 60. But I think what happens is you go to the low degrees of sheen, you start to not get zero at 60 might be like four at 45, I, I believe, right? Because the more you come down, everybody knows like when the light's coming from an angle, it'll bounce off easier than if you shoot light straight at something, right? So I think when you go down to 45, the lower degrees of sheen can sometimes be, the lower gloss units can sometimes be talked about in uh, 45, I think it's 45 or even 30 degrees of of angular sheen, I believe. But anyway, if you look at Fine Paints of Europe, Eco Brilliant, right? They're, they're Alcott Acrylic, Eco Brilliant. And you look at Hallnack Brilliant 98. Hallnack Brilliant has 98 degrees 98 gloss units. Eco has like 85 gloss units. Most companies' gloss is 80 to 85, right? That's considered gloss, 80, I believe. Something like that. Well, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Every company can say whatever they want. This is, there's not a governing body that's like, well, you have satin because it's at 32 gloss units. Stamp, you can use the word satin now. Unfortunately, that's not how our industry works. And it's really frustrating so that's where you always need to know. I mean, now, hopefully, some of you, if you weren't aware, are now aware that gloss units are a thing. And there's an objective way to calculate sheen. And you can buy a gloss meter if you really need to. Um, I've never really found the need to uh, at this point. We don't do a lot of, like, matching of exact substrates. If, I was, if you were, like, a touch-up guy, you might want that. Side note, we need to find, there's, there's company, I met this guy in Minnesota that just did touch-ups and it's such an art to just be a touch-up person. What type of paint would you use for brick? I would generally use Loxon from Sherwin-Williams or, you know, if you're just the average guy. Oh, gloss meters are only 3,000. Um, sorry guys, I, I underestimated. They're 3,000, not 1,000. That's what Peach Goss said. I thought I saw one for like 1,500. I, oh, I was this close to buying a gloss meter one time. Um, it wouldn't have done me any good, probably, so I'm glad I didn't do it. But um, how do you decide close sheen? Are you able to accurately calibrate gloss meters? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can, you can definitely, I can look and kind of give it pretty good. Like, we do most of our kitchen cabinet refinishing in 20-degree sheen, which... You know, I, I just call it satin, right? I can tell a client, well, we're using satin, right? Well, that's a 20 GUs. But the difference between 20 GUs and 30 GUs in a white kitchen cabinet refinish is like a nothing. You're not going to, like, it's going to be tough to say it's not what I want. On a side note, does anybody else here, by a show of hands, oh, wait, that's weird. Uh, does anybody else here not a fan of semi-gloss? I can't stand semi-gloss on trim. Semi-gloss, like, it's such a halfway. Like, I really, it's funny because I used to use a ton of semi-gloss. And then I got in the fine paints world. And now, like, I don't have any use for semi-gloss. Isn't that weird? I know people use it. Someone just told me that they're, they're, some client for somebody that I know was specking advanced semi-gloss. Like, 
I'm like, ew, semi-gloss to me now is like, eh, not my thing. It looks tacky. Yes, Kendall, my man. Um, I personally am not a semi-gloss fan. Uh, and we really try to encourage clients. Like I, I did do some, I did semi-gloss black doors once, not that long ago for a designer. And we custom blended Holland Lack Brilliant and Holland Lack Satin to get the sheen that they were after. But we were matching something else. Um, but man, semi-gloss to me is like, ugh. It's just not my thing. I feel like semi-gloss is like uh, the golden oak cabinets. It was really cool at one point and now it seems dated to me. What is DOI factor? Beach goth. I'm going to do you some literature I've been reading, but really appreciate you going on in those questions. Thanks. Uh, Advanced Satin has 25 to 35 gloss units, and we know that thanks to Caesar from MFC Construction Group. He did some awesome homework really quick. Um, I'm going to put up... No, I don't, don't want to like piss people off, but I might have to put up a poll. Do you think that... Do you like semi-gloss paint and do you, or do, like is semi-gloss paint tacky because i think it is oh it just reminds me of like cheap rental property like crap and like the stuff i used to paint back in the day like you take advanced satin and you put that on some trim man it looks so nice um i pick my i get my paint from adler's um hardware most of my paint fine paints of europe all comes from adler's hardware and that's mostly what we use Wow, this has been, this flew by. We're already at an hour and seven minutes. All right, Simp has another question. This guy's a beast. Oh, no, we don't want beater work trucks. Yes. Oh, man, Caesar, you're a brilliant man. I do agree. Fine paints, hall neck eggshell on trim is some of the most beautiful, was one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see. Um, I'm a big fan of Hollenbeck eggshell. I, I try to encourage clients to use it as often as I can. Um, they don't always go for it because of the term, I think it's more the term when we show them samples, which we just don't get into doing that often, but Hollenbeck eggshell is gorgeous, gorgeous paint. Um, Sam, I haven't read this question. I hope it's, I should, I need to read them guys. Sorry. I'm getting excited. Okay. Wow. Like, Wow, light a light went like a light went off. So now you would color the joint compound with food coloring. I'm using the let's see. I'm using the green lid. Um I would we've I've always colored my joint compound with um blue um the powder they sell for chalk lines, blue chalk. So the you can at Home Depot in the chalk line area, there's just the like the thing for chalk that goes in the chalk line machine that you pull a rope string out of. We've just used that blue chalk line stuff. Uh, never red, but um, I think I think guys use food coloring too. Um, I think I've seen that. When it comes to exterior painting, since you're in RI, if you're doing a house by the beach, is there a preferred paint that handles the ocean salts better? One hundred percent. Of course there is. Yes, we use Eco Satin. Eco Satin is the gold standard for exterior durability on um, the water, on and really anywhere. The color fastness and the durability of Eco Satin 
or eco, I should say. Brilliant. We're doing brilliant on a project right now on the, all the trim. Eco is crazy color fast, crazy durable. It's a marine grade alcohol acrylic. Um, it's phenomenal. And then we use the same stuff on the outside of your house, on the inside of your house, on your trim. Um, it's beautiful, high performance coating. Um, can't be, can't be doing that with many other ones. All right. I think that's it. I think we are out of questions. Wait, we have one more. Wait, no, that's, oh, here we go. Kendall. All right. Thoughts on Ural looks on doors. I think I saw pics from John Shear and it looks beautiful. <clears throat> I know a friend of mine, Jakey Meyer from, um, Fresh Start Painting in New Jersey did a big project. He does some crazy projects. They do unbelievable houses down there. He did an entire house, uh, all the trim in Eurolux flat, I believe. Maybe Matt. I can't remember. Um, Eurolux on doors, interior doors only, not exterior, um, is, I think it has a place. Now, flat. I don't think Matt probably does because then you probably just go, unless it's a dark color, then you would probably just go with um, oil eggshell. Uh, we have to look at degrees of sheen again. But I I know that, no, I think Jakey used flat because the, it was the designer wanted flat on the trim. And there I do, am not aware of a flat paint that's more washable than Eurolux. Flat. It's incredibly durable, amazing product. So it would come with lots of caveats to the client. Hey, we are putting a wall paint, non enamel on your trim. It is not going to be a durable trim paint like you're used to seeing. It's not going to perform like that. So you are sacrificing durability for aesthetics. Cool. If so, we would be off to the races with the flat. I wouldn't probably use the matte. I would probably use oil eggshell in that case, unless it was a dark color. Oil eggshell does not come in the dark colors. Um, but yeah, I think Eurolux will perform. It's been shown to perform on doors, but it, it's if you have a bunch of kids running around and you want a durable finish, like, no, you're not doing that. But if you have a, a home, a custom built, custom designed, you know, generally there's going to be in multi, multi-million dollar homes with architects and designers who have a very specific aesthetic that they're after. And part of that aesthetic is flat on the trim. And if that's the case, and they're willing to sacrifice durability for aesthetics, which plenty of clients are, um, no, I would not, that's a ridiculous thing to say. Plenty of clients are not. Some clients are. I think it's a very rare case where you end up doing it. But I know it has been done by some very high-level craftspeople. John Shear, I think, uh, he, I'm, I trust that you say that he did that. John is a very prolific guy. They, they runs a very big company, and they do a lot of stuff. So I, I'm sure they've done it. Um, in, certain, in certain situations, um, I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal paint. It's like velvety, beautiful. If that's what the client wants, it's the perfect look. But if they want, you know, it depends on what they want. And that's why understanding what goes into products and what products make what makes each product special this is why sales reps can be so frustrating because they don't give us a lot of um objective data they give us a lot of subjective data 
Um, the objective information helps us to be able to, when you have the concepts down, you can apply them to different situations. So high level craftspeople were able to discern that there was a way that Eurolux did make sense on trim. But I'm, I can assure you they gave plenty of caveats. Um, and those guys know what they're doing. If a client asked you for a reconnection on Cape Blue, what would you suggest? I don't know what reconnection on Cape Blue means. A recommendation on Cape Blue? Uh, what I would say is we should hire, we should call a designer and do a color consultation. That's what I'd say. I'd say, all right, so you're about to paint the exterior of your house. I don't know. We don't paint exterior houses for less than 10000 almost ever. Like You're probably spending significantly more than $10,000 to, to paint your house, maybe even $8,000, whatever it is. It's thousands of dollars to paint your house, and it's you're planning to have it last 5 to 15 years. Why don't we hire someone whose job it is to work with color all day, every day, to help pick those colors so that for those next 5 to 15 years, you love the way it looks. A color consultation from a designer might be two or $300. It's a small price to pay to have the, I can't, we, all of us painters know this. I can tell you right now, there's like five buildings off the top of my head that you could drive down the road from here to Narragansett, main street buildings, commercial properties that have the worst colors. There's a, there's a freaking high end design. Like uh, it's like, um, what is it? It's a, they sell furniture. That's, a, that's all I'm going to say. They have the worst color blue I've ever seen. It's like they went, someone went to Home Depot, picked out a color chip and just went, told the painter, yeah, this is the stuff, put it up. And next thing you know, you look at it and it's a horrible shade of blue and it doesn't go with the other shades that are on the house. Like hire a designer to do a color consultation. It will blow your mind. If nothing else, it takes the, the stress off of me from having to help my client pick color. It gives a lot of times, you know what it does? It gives the client the confidence to go with a color scheme that they may not otherwise have had the confidence to go with. That to me, that's the best part about a designer is you might go, wow, like, I think I kind of like that. But a designer knows color the way I know paint. And they're going to go this, this, and this go together. And they're going to give you what you just told me you wanted based off of the 30 minutes we spent together and the hour we spent together. And the pictures you showed me, these three colors are going to go together and they're going to be beautiful. A designer can say that with a, a fairly high degree of confidence because that's what all they do all day. So if nothing else, if client has three colors and they're on the fence about them, it's like, hey, call it. I have a couple of designers. Call this designer. I think they'd be a good fit for you. Have them come out, do a quick color consultation, a couple hundred dollars. And now you have... If nothing else, you have great confidence in the color scheme you've already picked. You're never second guessing it. Or maybe they tweak two little things and give you a color scheme. I can I can show you. I, I remember the first house vividly that we did it on. And it didn't seem like it was a big deal. Like It was just like, it was like this, I don't know, gray beige color and this like off-white color of trim and this color accent color for the door, right? It didn't seem like much. When you see this freaking house, it's beautiful. The paint job is good. We did the paint job, but the colors make this house beautiful. They, it's subtle, but it stands out because all those colors were picked by someone who knows color. 
very intentionally. So, I don't know how I got off. Oh, someone says Cape Cod Blue. Yeah, no, dude, I, I am not in the business of choosing color for clients. I'm in the business of, I can, you know, what? And sometimes we'll say a couple things, but like, I, hey, I'm here, I'm a technician. We are experts at applying coatings. I have an eye for some stuff. I'll tell you what I've experienced, but I am not going to pick color for you. So you're saying I'm leading the clients wrong by only recommending Rembrandt Red on all surfaces. <laughs> Kendall! Uh, I'm, yeah. You are. You. We probably don't need bright lipstick red on every surface for every client. As much as we'd love to do it because Rembrandt Red is beautiful. I'm actually thinking about... We, so this is interesting. We have, I have a, I'm in my, I'm in my house right now. I live in a house and next year we're going to be painting this house and it's a 200 year old, beautiful house. And we are going to be changing the color scheme. And I can tell you right now, I've painted lots of beautiful homes and worked with lots of designers. I assure you, I will not be choosing the colors. I will be hiring a, a, a designer to come out to talk with my wife and I, we will talk about the things that we like, we will show examples, and then we will work with a designer to get a color scheme that fits our um, parameters, if you will. Um, but the amount of effort and time that's gonna go into painting an exterior of this house, we might end up having to, probably gonna end up painting all the sashes. It's a big old house, like lots of, we rent three units in it and live in one. There's a lot of sashes to paint. The scheme that we go with will be the scheme that is on this house for the next 15 to 20 years. I'm not just going to be like, well, uh, this one looks good with this one. And maybe I'll put a sample up on the wall. Like, no, I want someone who eats, sleeps, and breathes this. In fact, whatever. But, yes. Someone said, the guy asked that said, yeah, totally. When someone thinks Cape Cod Blue, it can be totally different than what someone else thinks Cape Cod Blue is. 100%. Like, I, I, you have to be careful with that type of stuff. Oh, Ellen and Josie said, I'm, I'm awesome. Thank you. MF Caesar said, you can never go wrong with white on white on white. That, that is true, but you have to be careful. It better all be the same, same white. Or if it's not the same white, it better be someone who knows what they're doing is talking about the different whites. Yeah, I, I just don't want anything to do with color consultations. Um, all right, guys. It's 9.20. We just went for an hour and 20 minutes. I, I've answered all the questions. Um, I guess I got to go do some work. We had a big week this week. I didn't even talk about what we're up to. Um, we have a gloss ceiling at the prestigious One Dalton. That's out of control. Um, as far as our social media posts are concerned... We are the client, the designer does not want the client to see the project along the way. So we are not posting about it is as far as like this very detailed stuff. And I have not made a post post about it. Uh, and I won't until we finish the project. Um, just out of respect for the process for the designer, like we're not going to try to step on toes. Um, we are posting stories about this stuff. Um, Phil is posting some like little detailed things, but we have the coolest ceiling this ceiling is unbelievable uh and i have samples going out tomorrow for a, an amazing gloss trim package that we're doing we're, we're doing a gloss room again this time not just all the trim 
it's like it's a lot of trim and it's it's a lot of work it's a big project for one room um but we're going to be doing a uh a really cool gloss trim package i say gloss room because it has wayne's coating and some piece and some built-ins and some built-in pieces of furniture actually which are pretty cool in this house but we are taking um wallpaper and we are sending it to Vermont and they are color matching a one of the blues in the wallpaper to the gloss that will go on the trim. So this this room is going to be phenomenal. So I'm I'm delivering those samples. Uh the Westerly project is coming along. We're getting really close, uh probably another 2 weeks most um until we finish that project up. Tomorrow we're delivering all the cabinet doors. It's the beauty of the team that we have and the setup we have. We we're able to take all the cabinet doors off Patty and Caroline were able to work on all those cabinet doors, all the cabinet carcasses, boxes, carcasses. I don't know why I call them carcasses, but I, I have for a long time. It just sounds weird, though. You should call them boxes. The cabinets, are they all got painted on site. Yes, we're in Weak Pug. It's a beautiful house on the water down there. Beautiful house. Um, and so the ability to have... All those cabinet doors, there's a lot. Everyone is at finishing school, saw how many they are. Oh no, the gloss ceiling is in Boston. No, no, the gloss ceiling is in one Dalton. The most prestigious of all residences are our buildings in the city right now. The tallest building in Boston, actually. It's crazy. Um, but we were able to take all the cabinet doors off, bring them back to the shop. Dan and Cameron were able to prime sand prime sand paint sand and now we're delivering them back to site sanded and ready for final coat and patty and caroline have this amazing technique that they have refined over the course of a bunch of cabinetry and a bunch of built-ins where they apply the finished coat with a certain type of brush which if you dm patty she will tell you the process and i'll probably have to make a post about this because it's pretty cool but they're applying the paint with a certain type of brush and then they are tipping it off with a different brush that makes very pronounced brush strokes. We had to make multiple samples for the client on this project in order to get enough brush strokes in the finish that they were happy. It's supposed to be a traditional, you know, old world European style home. It looks like it's, it's supposed to have been there for years. And so, the, you know, they didn't, they had, Pronounced brush strokes. If you go to Europe, you'll that's what all the trim is looks like. It's it's ropey, if you will, but it's a specific type of ropey. And so we've had to reverse engineer getting there with a certain process. Um, so Patty and Caroline have been doing that to all the boxes on site, and rather than Dan and Cameron do their version of that to the doors, and then we put them together, and then magically you've had two different people two different hands coating the cabinet doors versus the boxes and they face frame inset they're yeah the face frame inset so they they they'll meet perfectly right i what i want is the same person the same people doing both so when we put the cabinets back it's good so what we did was we actually ended up and i'm pretty sure the client will be fine with this if they're not we will We'll find a way to make it work. But what we did was these these are not European-style hinges. They are piano hinges, like the ones that just go right on the edge of the door. So what we have done is we have left the edge of or the hinge side. We've left that in final coat sprayed. 
because no one's ever going to see that, right? That's the hint. That little edge is never going to be seen. Essentially, no. I mean, you, you'll see it, but it's not what you see. So I'm hoping that the architect will allow us to just install these cabinets so we don't have to brush that spine around beautiful brand new hardware. Now, granted, we can mask it off. We can brush around it. We can do that. But it's a whole thing. So I'm really hoping that we can just brush the faces, the, the five sides of the door, right? Top, bottom, edge, front and back, and not the edge where the hinges go. Uh, but that project is coming along awesome. Shoreline did a bunch of that work with us. We were working side by side with them on that project. Um, pretty cool. Um, and then Patrick and Arturo finished the kitchen cabinet refinish. Well, we finished that a little bit ago. They finished a whole front hall, uh, front entry hall um, repaint that turned out amazing. And now we are starting a big exterior that we will probably not get completed. We'll probably get one coat of paint on everything this uh, season, and then we'll have to come back in the spring and finish it up, uh, especially because they're going to be doing some exploratory demo of some siding to see how the flashing is being done. We brought in Kyle Mock from Mocked Architecture, building science expert, and we're making sure that when we build our amazing paint job, we've done it on a foundation that is strong. Um, these video, these, this podcast in video form is on YouTube under ZK Live. We have a ZK Painting YouTube page, and that is on my list in the next year. We will develop that. We will make awesome videos like my heroes, like NS Builders, like WKP, like The Build Show. All those guys, they're killing it on YouTube. We don't have the bandwidth right now to produce the kind of content that we would need to go to YouTube. So I've decided not to go there until I'm ready to go all in. That's probably going to require hiring a videographer. Um, so as of right now, we are just this show is on YouTube, really. Uh, but you can listen to all the old episodes. You can listen to all the old episodes on iTunes, on Spotify, under ZK Live. Uh, we really need to get a logo for ZK Live. If any of you guys have seen what my intern put up, it's really sad. I apologize to anyone who has subscribed to our page on iTunes and has to see that sad, pathetic logo. Um, it's on the list of things to get done. Um, but yes, you can listen to us on a bunch of those things. This week, I I have to solidify the guest before I say who it is. The following week on ZK Live, we have an awesome interior designer that we just finished a project with. He is incredibly talented. I can't wait to show you guys this final, this final project. Oh my God. The transformation, it's so, it's why you hire an interior designer. They just, a good designer can absolutely transform a space in a way that the client just can't get to without someone who eats, sleeps, and breathes design. Um, so I definitely love working with designers. We're going to have more designers. We have an architect scheduled for, uh, when is he scheduled? I forget. We have an awesome general contractor that we have scheduled we're trying to bring on people on the podcast that aren't just painters so that we can talk about the painting world through other people's eyes. But I am due for a painter. So although I had no, I had Lou Millinghausen on last weekend, last week. Um, you can watch those at PCA right now and you can watch them on YouTube. And I think you can watch them on uh, my YouTube channel and on iTunes. The, uh, my intern is putting them up still. 
Um, but again, everybody, thanks for watching. Everybody have a great night. Go crush it this week. Um, and remember, I, there's lots of things to remember. Just stay positive. Positive self-talk. Um, John Shearer is on my list. We have talked multiple times about it. Uh, John Shearer is an enigma. He's a very busy man. And there's not... I, I'm not... I'm not going to jinx it. We're not going to talk about him. And if I can get John on at some point, we will all be better people for having got to hear him. I get to talk to him fairly frequently and he's will blow your mind. He's a, he is one of the greatest people in the painting industry. He's been a huge inspiration to me. Um, but he's a very tough guy to get a hold of, to, to get, that to to extract that kind of time from John Shear is a big big ask, and so at this point we are still in talks back and forth. Um, please don't bug him about it. I don't want him to. I don't want to bug that guy. He's he's got a lot going on. It will eventually happen, I think. Um, but everything with time, patience, patience is key. Everyone, how about that? Well, let's let's leave on that. Plant the seeds for what you want, water the seeds, and then just be patient and keep planting seeds. Anytime you have an, an, the opportunity to plant a seed, right, to, to, to build a relationship with a, someone that's in your world that's going to make you better, plant that seed. Spend that extra time getting to know somebody. Like, send that message. Like, do the extra things. Do the extra bit of work to... Plant the seed and water it. Whenever you have the the energy and the momentum, I know sometimes there's just a lot going on and you don't get to plant seeds for a day or something. But at all times, plant seeds, water those seeds. They will, next thing you know, you'll be living in a forest. That's been my experience. And it takes patience. Don't watch, don't try to watch the seeds grow. Just keep planting seeds and water. And the next thing you know, you're looking around and you have this amazing forest. Um, so patience, everyone, positivity. Um, you guys are all awesome. Thanks for watching and have a great week.